Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pushing the Envelope, where all manner of fringe topics are covered from a purely biblical perspective. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. Uh, tonight, the Brian and I are going to bring on some guests, uh, Joe Musidla and Temeskin. Uh, most of you would be familiar with Temeskin as he and I used to do the Portico of Solomon a few years back. And of course, you all should be getting up to speed on Joe Musidla. He has a couple of broadcasts that he does. Uh, one is A Cup with Joe, and the other is Ark Building. And Temeskin, uh, he has no ministry. He always participates in whatever the Brian I has going whenever he feels uh, the free time to do so. So, let's get the newest member to this shindig on first. Joe, um, your opening comments and hellos. And you can take the time to share about your ministries and the web addresses that you can find those at. And a short uh, description um, of your caliber and how familiar you are you are with the Bible and how long you have been studying it. Hello, everyone. Uh, like Matthew said, my name is uh, Joe Mizidla. Um as far as uh, what I've been doing, um, I see I've got uh, a cup with Joe. Uh, it's on a uh, different platform or network. And uh, there I just uh, talk about, uh, well, mainly the Bible. And whatever uh, the Lord puts in my heart, I try and, uh, well, support other ministries through that one. Uh, the second one is uh, uh, Ark Building. And that one... Well, it's just uh, basically using the 66 books of the Bible to build a metaphorical ark that will house your securities as the times grow darker. Uh, as far as how long or where I'm at, I would say uh, adolescence in my uh, study. Uh, um, how long that's I don't know. I would say probably anywhere maybe uh, between five and seven years uh, of looking at the Bible. Um, but uh, I am not a uh, well. I'm not a, a, a scholar in the uh, Greek or the Hebrew. Uh, where you can find me is uh, on Facebook under Joe Musilla, J O E M U Z Y D L A dot nine or on Twitter at J M E Z Y D L A. All right, Temeskin, let's bring everybody up to speed because we've got plenty of new listeners that are not familiar with you. So um, describe, uh, of course, your uh, uh, your ministry or what it was and uh, all the things you've done with us. Do the same as, you, as Joe did, of course. How many years uh, do you have underneath your belt in Bible study and your gauge as to where you're at? Uh, Joe used a good measure there, adolescence. You could 
use the years, or you could go by degree. It doesn't matter, but give everybody a good gauge of of your competency level with the Bible, God's Holy Word. And uh, if you're like Joe, and you're just familiar with uh, what the Lord our God has told us in English, which is the message, uh, please elaborate on that. And uh, where you're from, and uh, the different uh, social networking sites you're on, and how people can connect with you. Hello, everybody. Um, I have been following and listening to Matthew's teachings pretty much since he was back on BTR um, going back almost eight years ago. And I have, um, as he mentioned, I have uh, at different points in times participated in different Bible studies, including probably most recently the Portico of Solomon that some other brothers and Matthew and myself uh, we we did shows primarily dealing with John the Baptist, and um, since then I have been doing a lot of self-study. I typically try to study in the original languages, um, the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, I um, listen and follow very uh, attentively to the discussions that are going online uh, between Matthew and his son or what uh, Matthew and Brian are doing in particular I um I'm not very involved in the larger Christian community which um in terms of the different ministries or where they're at or what they're doing um most of what I do is self-study or connecting privately with people that I've met through uh Matthew's ministry and uh, the conversations that I've had privately with people, and um, I'm feeling a bit led at this point in time to get a little bit more public with some things, in particular uh, the discussion of the tabernacle. Matthew and I did a show back in July, and there's a number of things that are related to that that I'd like to get into some more detail about, so stay tuned. Um, more will be coming. And um, as far as how to get a hold of me, um, uh, I guess stay tuned. I, I, I'll, I'll figure out how to how to get those things available. All right, Bry, uh, jump in the saddle and uh, give your opening comments. Um, this program, I'm not going to give my opening comments. Brian is going to give his what he thought about this and. Uh, Let's go ahead, Brian, and reiterate where you're at, where you can be found, uh, your your links to the Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, you've got the mic, Brian. All right. Well, to get the uh, the ladder out of the way first, uh, you can find me at the Bands of Time on uh, Twitter.com and then uh, the Bands of Time.com and EndTimeTribuneMedia.com. Now, diving into this. This is a very interesting topic that's going to push everybody to think, I would say, outside of the box, um, even as the title of this uh, series heading is, uh, Pushing the Envelope here, because this is this is going to force people to look at some things in a light that they may have never seen things. The idea that we may have some connections between Genesis 3 and Revelation 12, at first glance, might seem a little out there. 
But the more that you start diving into it, the more you begin to look at things and logically apply some thinking in the proper directions, it begins to sort of fill itself in. And not to even mention here, there are some other odds and ends that I've worked through as far as the work I do concerning history, archaeology, and all of that, that begins to fill in some missing pieces and starts making a lot of things make sense where there were questions that were not able to be answered before. So with that said, I'll hand it over and let everybody else sort of uh, fill in the pieces here. All right, Tims, uh, why don't you bring us up to speed? How did this come about? How did you see this? And make no mistakes, ladies and gentlemen, this caught me by complete surprise. I immediately uh, tagged Brian in the post as, as soon as I was able to uh, get a break. Uh, Tim sent it to me a couple of days in a message before that, but I was working and I, I, I don't have uh, my time schedule kind of worked out right where I can do the ministry and um, and study the Bible uh, when people send me questions because I'm not only working on my own book, I have to edit uh, my son Aaron's Enoch translation and commentary. So that is a mountain of things that I have to do. So, But as soon as, as I got a breath... I tagged Brian in the post to get his attention so we could put something together for pushing the envelope. So, Temps, please bring us up to speed on how this got your attention. Uh, what was you looking at? Was you just randomly looking at scriptures, or how did this play out? Well, I'd say the, the roots of this would be going all the way back to the middle of September. I had heard a show that you had done and the discussion had come up about uh, women's cycles and whether or not they were going to have them. And it just immediately clicked with me that um, Rachel, when they were fleeing Laban, uh, used the excuse of being in the time of women. And that was the reason why she didn't stand before Laban. And I immediately recognized that as being a picture of her not getting to her hinds feet. And, of course... Um, she died, which is, you know, we we always try to put things in the right box, right? So we, we have the bride, we have the child that gets caught up to heaven, and we have the rest of the children, and we know that the rest of the children um, are martyrs. Um, they, they lose their life, and um, Rachel fulfilling that in that in that step. And then I was doing some Bible study with my, my daughter, and... Um, we were talking about the Exodus and about some of the things that had to do with the serpent. And it just it just hit me like a, a ton of bricks that the whole reason that the serpent was in the presence of Adam and Eve at that time in the garden would have been because she was she would have had to have been near um, the moment when she would be uh, delivering a child. And, and then, you know, so then I started reading Revelation chapter 12 and reading Genesis 3 and just really looking at it more closely and as I as I read it that just it it just started to make more and more sense to me that yeah this is an isochronal event this is um this is the same event and it and it was um 
it was funny because um, literally like two weeks later, because this this was tying into some broader events, like I said, with the Exodus, it was funny because I had gone out to do some to do sports and um, a buddy of mine had literally caught a, a tank, a, a snake by his tail, which so I knew I was dealing with something that was a little bit outside of the ordinary. So I started messaging Matthew and, and, you know, uh, having some real short communication, uh, just by text about it. And, um, well, God is faithful. That's an understatement. Uh, he certainly is faithful. Um, I looked at this and it caught me sideways and Tim kept harassing me, uh, with questions. Uh, even though I told him that uh, I was going to be at work at a particular time frame, he couldn't hold it in, and he'd send me text anyway. So by the time I caught my breath to sit down for a minute and take a look at this, it took me by surprise. Because once you just read the two, one after the other, you realize that this is staring you directly in the face. Uh, just the simple fact that from the outset of Genesis chapter uh, 3, and of course the entire description of the fall, you'll take note that Adam takes the back seat. The whole opening diatribe is the woman and the serpent, just like Revelation chapter 12. So, I am curious to get Joe's take on this and what he thought and things that stuck out to him. So, we're going to uh, pass this over to him first. I think that it is appropriate to do that. Uh, Joe is the newest member here, and he needs to feel relaxed. So, he needs to have the first shot at this and, and uh, share what the Lord, our God, has pointed out to him. Uh, since he received this message that we were going to roll with this program. Uh, so, Joe, you have the mic for however long you need it uh, to describe uh, the things you found so far. Okay. Um, wow. Uh, that one, when I got the message from you on this, well, yeah, like you said, it took you by surprise. It took me by surprise. I was not. Uh, I often wondered about that, I guess, um, but I, I had never put the two together uh, the way um, the other gentleman did. Um, I, I guess I was looking. You know, I was pondering it on the way home from work. Uh, I believe it was Thursday night, and uh, and I was really kind of asking God of. I, I guess I was looking for kind of a smoking gun um, as far as you know, was she pregnant beforehand um, or coming into that time? And uh, I guess, let's see, it was Genesis uh, 4-1 that came into my mind out of those things. Um, 
uh, I'll just read from the NASB, but that's this is just kind of what popped in my head as as uh, anyways, I'll just read it. Uh, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And that made me really uh, take pause um, as as to, I guess, what all that means. But that's just kind of where my mind, that evening when I was uh, really thinking about it, that's kind of where my mind went as... Uh, Well, that's a good question. I guess that's just where I was directed to go in my mind, was to look at that verse and to kind of pick that apart a little bit. So, Well, that's very apropos because that's exactly what Temeskin and I was sending messages back and forth about. And then he called me on it abruptly uh, one day at work, and that had to wait a couple of hours for me to return the phone call. And let's get Temeskin's take on exactly that very verse and the verse right after it. Thames, what are you looking at there, and what's your take on Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2? Well, let me pull it up here, and I'll, I'll just start with reading it. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Um, <clears throat> the When I first started looking at this, I think I actually approached you and said, this, this, um, this, how do we know when this now was? And then when I started looking at it in the Hebrew, the, the words that are actually used there, it's it's really describing like a circuit or a completion of a of a uh, of a process, um, not so much um, a present or past tense as much as a, a once around the ride sort of thing. And um, as you and I discussed. It doesn't mention Adam knowing Eve twice. It mentions him knowing her once, and then these two um, children are are born, uh, which is which is rather interesting. That's right, and that completely catches you by surprise because um, let's just look at the English for this, ladies and gentlemen. God gives you steps, very clear steps. Number one. Relations. Number two, conceived. Number three, birth. She names the child. Then what happens? Again, she gives birth. Now, this doesn't come out and say it, but it can certainly be implied in the Hebrew, no doubt, that this was actually twins. But it doesn't say it. And this harkens back to the same set of circumstances in Revelation chapter 12. You have the man-child. But then God waits, and in the last verse, 
he mentions the rest of her children. Well, where did those children come from? Because they are given, well, very strange description. And that seriously needs to be looked at. <laughs> that the rest of her children only take up a single verse, very simple verse, out of the New American Standard Bible. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, you'll take note. When did she give birth to these children? When? Who was their uh, fraternal parent? All this, well, at the very least, catches my attention. Because back in Genesis, you was expecting the same uh, type of, well, progression. You was expecting something to be in between verse 1 and verse 2. A period of time, something. But the only significant thing mentioned here about time is the simple fact of what the two would become. Let me ask you this, ladies and gentlemen. Why is that? Why, why is that? Now, listen to this mechanically. Just listen to it mechanically. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now, no mention of son, as is normal in the scripture, just a name given, that's it. Let me continue. Again, she gave birth to his brother. This is the first mention of gender. Is this Hebrew word for brother. And you can say this, that yes, that certainly definitively uh, gives the gender here. That is of no doubt. But think about that. The brother, Abel, he's given a gender, but you really don't know the gender of Cain. It's implied, no doubt. No doubt it's implied. But why is he implying and inferring like this? Look, ladies and gentlemen, I've told you many times before, God don't have a problem with coming out and telling you something, and if he doesn't, he's trying to get your attention. So let's go on. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Where did that come from? That came from exactly the same place that the last verse in Revelation, chapter 12, did. Uh, where did that come from, ladies and gentlemen, those, those descriptors? Why do we need to know that all of a sudden these children, these rest of her children, what they do? They keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And take note, there's two. Just like Cain was one, and Abel was one. The similarities of his shadows and silhouettes, once you see it, really does rattle my cage. And that's a fact. It, it rattled my cage, and 
it made me reconsider everything and how much I could not perceive before. And ah, yes, perception's everything, isn't it? Thames, <clears throat> so start sharing uh, some of the things that you found. I mean, it was that was ingenious for Joe to bring up the simple fact that, wait a minute, the most important verse is really the next one after Genesis chapter 3. It's really Genesis chapter 4, the first couple of verses. Your thoughts on that, and please start sharing some of your conclusions. Well, we've we've talked extensively in the past about uh, Abraham and Sarah and the fact that their names were changed. And when you start reading these passages in the original Hebrew and start following around the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the He, um, it just illuminates so much here. Um, in particular, it, it, you know, when you look at the name Abel, that has that He, which we understand to be the where the secret uh, places inside the tabernacle, that, that little side chamber in the tabernacle. That's a reference to that, and that, he had it. Cain didn't. And when you start going into just background here in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, um, this pops up all over the place, and you can begin to understand this on just a whole nother, a whole nother uh, level. Um, you know, you, the first place I saw it was with etz. Etz is the Hebrew word for for trees, and um, that's where you know that's where the fruit was coming from. And you know, he says that, and out of the ground the Lord God uh, made spring up every tree uh, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And that version of etz is a different one than the one that's used for the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Um, those trees are spelled with a different version of etz. Um, one is one we're using a vav, which is six, which you know we know six is the number of man. Um, man was made on the sixth day. Um, man is the highest uh, living form made from the sixth uh, atomic element, carbon. Um, and you see it here, and it's it's amazing because. You know, when you again following the change in name of of Abraham and Sarah from Abram and Sarah, Sarai to to their uh, rightful names, it's clear that they receive back those those hidden those hidden places in the tabernacle, and it it seems clear to me, and, and just reading this in the original Hebrew, that in eating the fruit, that that was compromised. Um, we even see that in the in the in the names that are used um, generically for woman and the word that's used for for man. Um, in in Genesis three verse six, there's so much there to uncode just just using that simple that word there in the original Hebrew. Um, it's often um, translated that you know she gave some to her husband, but the actual word is man, ish. And um, it's, there's just, you know, in the original Hebrew, there's just so much here to, to decode. And 
there's just so much understanding that you can get from that. Well, let's pass the buck to the Bry. Brian, what's your what's your thoughts on what these two have shared thus far? Well, I would have to state that there are definitely things you have to take into careful consideration when looking at this. Now, as was rightly pointed out previously, one of the first things that's obviously going to catch your mind is Cain. But if you hit the rewind button and go back to Genesis 1, starting at 1 verse 26... And God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, if we take note of the fact that already we see within the first six days of creation, we see it being stated right here that this command had already gone forth. So this leaves open the possibility of a child or even children being conceived and maybe even born upon the earth prior to Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden. We don't really have, how do I put this? It leaves open that possibility. Well, Brian, I I sent you a reply to this that well, I'm, I'm, look, when you sent me, I think it was uh, a tweet on this. Ladies and gentlemen, I had to stop and pause in my tracks because a number one, uh, Brian is just pointing out the obviousness of the entire situation. No doubt about it that God came down to walk in the cool of the day. No doubt about it. Just as Adam uh, had named everything at the Lord's behest, what makes any of us think? Why would we ever assume uh, that the first sunrise after Adam and Eve slept together, uh, what makes anybody think that uh, they did not uh, consummate that joining, I don't know. I can't answer you myself. I don't know why I was thinking that. But then I sent this to Brian. Let's, let's really take a look at, well, what God was saying. Okay? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian and I have shared many times that Eve was not created, she was formed. That exact word in Hebrew always leads you to an altar. Always. Always. When you take that exact case and form in the Hebrew and track it down, guess what you're going to keep running into? Built an altar. 
building an altar, had built an altar every single time. And it just, well, let's consider this, ladies and gentlemen, that Eve was built from Adam's ribs. And what I'm going to say is off the charts even to me, and some of you might get upset about this. I'm not so sure why the Lord my God uh, already had the genetic material there. It's not like God needs eggs. It's not like he needs uh, spermata. He doesn't need anything. But yet, as he was forming Eve, I'll put this on the table right now. I'll push this envelope as far as it will go. Whatever made me personally assume that he didn't make her pregnant. Now, I know that's a startling thing to say, but, but that was the command. He'd already given the command to be fruitful and multiply. So when he fashioned Eve, why would he not hold true to the commandment that he himself had already given? So with this in mind, let me pass this buck back once around the ride. Joe, your thoughts on that? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I had to actually start rethinking that myself. I think, uh, you know, with Genesis 4, 1, uh, you automatically assume that there was no interaction of that nature until the fall. Um, but, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's, it's an assumption but when you go back and take, you know, like you and Brian uh, pointed out, you take a closer look at to what God commanded. Yeah, it makes you take pause and really think that all the different possibilities uh, that could be rather than what uh, my mind would assume. Tim, your thoughts and the buck is back to you so you can add to it and We'll go once around the right again. My um, my take on it was was that when God had made Eve, that um, and this is just my assumption, was that they had consummated their union. Um, that's no different than most men. I mean, that's one of the things that you look forward to when you get married is being able to have a physical uh, relationship with your wife and um. It seemed to me that, um, you know, you just mentioned the animals. Uh, you know, God is a teacher. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the cool of the day, um, you know, the naming of the animals. I mean, not all of the animals were in the garden. Um, they were coming and going out of the garden. I mean, the only way that that uh, the naming of the animals could have been done correctly would have been for Adam and the Lord is God to be entering and leaving and coming and going um, to place animals animals in their proper dominions and in their proper authorities. It would be basically the ultimate jigsaw puzzle to try and, and organize this collection of different um, entities across the planet in a way to where they would complement one another and respect boundaries for one another. And... But the other thing that I, it seemed to me that in the cool of the day that, you know, why wouldn't that be the moment in time when the Lord would knit 
these children together that would be, you know, the fruit of of um, what was um, of their union. Um, that's just that was immediately what what came to mind to me when I when I considered it. The thing about it is, ladies and gentlemen, that what Tim was saying. There was no way that an alligator was in the garden. There was no way there was a kangaroo in that garden, lest that garden be in Australia. So we know that the Lord our God, by proof, there is proof, ladies and gentlemen, because of the simple fact of symbiosis. So you have to realize that there are many, many different types of animals that are exclusive not only to their particular environment, but they depend upon one another to exist. Absolutely. So these symbiotic relationships is an extension of what Thames was saying about each animal was given dominion in its place. It has a proper place. Take note, if anything outside of penguins go to the Challenger cold, they will die. So, it is obvious what God was setting up and wanting you to see. And I bring up a verse where he basically repeats himself. He wants you to see this for a reason. Let's go to the next chapter. Let's go to chapter 5. This is the book of generations of Adam in the day when God created man. Now, ladies and gentlemen, look at that mechanically. What did he just say? This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Verse 2, he created them, male and female, and he blessed them and named them Man in the day when they were created. He basically just came out and told you when they were blessed, and it was on the very day they were created. Like I stated, why would Adam and Eve bed down on that first night without consummating the marriage? And it's almost like, why are you reminded that? that he created them male and female all of a sudden again. And let's be definitive. Uh, what about that word blessed? Uh, where does that go? Where is that at? And ladies and gentlemen, everybody should know that a thing is not blessed until it's complete. So, let me pass this thought off to Brian. Uh, very interesting points that that Tams brought out. And does this have anything to do with the knowledge of good and evil? I wonder. Brian? Well, I began to think down a little bit of a different trail here and just began to wonder about something here because once again folks it's as I stated time's a little bit um 
different with the way things are mentioned here. Now, I want everybody to take note of Genesis 3, uh, verse 24. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. So obviously, we get the indication here, because of where the sword was placed, they went east from Eden when they went out. Now, if we go over to Genesis 4, if you pay careful attention to everything here, you're going to notice something very peculiar is being stated. Let me find the exact verse here. Give me one moment. Now, if you take note of uh, 4 verse 16, it says something very peculiar. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, folks, let me rephrase that again. He went out from the presence of the Lord. And as Matthew had just brought up, now uh, take Genesis 5 into the equation. Are we so certain that the events that had transpired up to this point in Genesis 4, verse 16, had not transpired before the fall. Oh my goodness, did he really just say that? Um, Let me check that for clarity. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Ladies and gentlemen, my goodness, I just got caught off guard again. Um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but where else could possibly be inferred here outside that the presence of the Lord must have been in Eden? It must have been. I mean, that takes me a little bit by surprise, so I take... I take pause with that, and let's get back to Joe. Joe, your thoughts? Well, um, wow. Yeah, I was not, uh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of taken by that one. Um, I'm going to have to digest on that one for just a second. That's... That's good stuff, though. That's really good stuff. Well, Tams, it falls back into your lap. Um, I'm with Joe. Uh, I got com- Brian caught me completely by surprise. So it's in your lap, buddy. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I want to go back to something that you had just said a second ago, and then I'll comment on this. But when you think about i mean i know i built i built this house that we're in 12 years ago and we had literally been in this house 2 years before we got pregnant um prior to us coming here we were not in the right place for us to have children and to your point about making them in the likeness of God, he created them and blessed them and named them man, and they were created. If you take animals, if they have the right resources available to them, they produ- they reproduce. 
as long as they have food, as long as they have the resources that are needed, they will reproduce. That's that's if they are in if they have resources that that's what will happen. And it's in the garden with the resources that were there. Um, you would expect that they would have done that. Um, to Brian's point, that makes perfect sense to me because again, when I look at the garden. Um, I see no reason why they were not coming and going. Um, in fact, when I read the text, that's what I—that's literally what I see. I know because man wasn't actually even made in the garden. He was actually made, and then he was transported into the garden. Um, and I think that what Brian's saying is is a hundred percent correct. Well, let me let me throw this in here. You and I were speaking the other day about. Uh, this this ability, obviously, to be transported or taken, <laughs> that's what this is really about, isn't it? To be taken someplace, uh, obviously supernaturally, did the knowledge of good and or evil play a part in – well, let me put it to you like this. Do you think – from what you have studied and looked into, Thames, that Adam would have been able to name all of the animals after the fall? Categorically, he would not. Categorically? That is uh, – well, that makes me set up in my seat. Can you please explain that comment? Adam was a was a – perfect being prior to the fall. Um, that means that everything that he intended to do, that he was made to do, he would have done it correctly. Um, as I said before, a few minutes ago, that this would have been, this is the, this would have been the ultimate jigsaw puzzle. I mean, you would have had millions of pieces and in a single day, you put them all together correctly. I mean, if I sit down with my daughter and we have a 300-piece jigsaw puzzle, it might take us all afternoon. And we're, the only way that we're able to do it is if we actually have a picture of the thing that it is that we're trying to put together. But you start getting, you know, an order of magnitude above that, and, and we can't do that. Adam had a perfect teacher who was able to impart into him understanding on multiple levels. And as a result of that, he was able to undertake that task. And he would have visited, as you mentioned before, he would have traveled to the North Pole to where the penguins would have gone. He would have descended into the Challenger Deep to the depths of the ocean to say who belongs there. He would have been and every single different ecosystem and placing these animals according to what would have been appropriate. Th that would not be possible. I, I can't descend into the Challenger Deep. I can't go to the North Pole. I can't do those things, much less um, do I have enough understanding of the potential uh, problems associated with how I might link those things up together. And you Make no mistake, you make one mistake, and you've destroyed the entire ecosystem. I I see. I 
I get it. I get what you're saying. What you're inferring is, what you're not saying is this. Adam had no clue what chaos was before that fall. You, let me explain it like this, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> A mathematician that has already completed an equation and knows how to balance that equation, he can only do so knowing what the variables are and the constants up front. But if you change the variables or the constants, everything turns into what? Chaos. Literally what Thames is trying to say is that Adam would know what that 3,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, how it went together before he ever started. He couldn't see the puzzle apart. Do you understand? When you and I get a brand new puzzle, we open the box, it's in a pile. That pile was foreign to Adam. The moment he opened the box and looked at the puzzles, he would immediately know who, what, where, when, why. It was the knowledge of what? Yes, good. He already had the knowledge of good. He was given the knowledge of evil or chaos. He was given chaos. All of a sudden, he would have to be a mathematician and work out the equation longhand in order to balance it. Before the fall, he did not. Before, he could only see the perfection of the problem. Any problem. He could literally perceive only the answer. He couldn't perceive a mistake. Once you open that Pandora's box, you begin to step back from, well, these very chapters. I have studied my whole life, my whole life have I studied these chapters, my whole life, with new insight into these, well, equations. Matthew, I'm just going to add in here, it, it, and it's not just seeing the puzzle correctly, but again, Adam would have descended into the Challenger Deep. He would have gone to the North Pole. He would have done things that you or I could not do in our fallen condition. That's right. That is exactly correct. Beyond any shadow of a doubt... That must be the case. Look, let's just take a very simple one. There is such a thing as a vanilla bee. You don't have to like it. But you get the extract vanilla and that flavor in your ice cream or in your cake solely off the back of that vanilla bee. That was set up... That was arranged, that was named, that was categorized by Adam. And we could just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. So what you have stated is emphatically not only correct, it can be no other answer. In an echo to just exactly the chaos that the knowledge of good and evil produced 
Brian, your thoughts, or Kems, your uh, counter comments, please. Well, the only thing I want to add to that is, is uh, to your point, um, if you take an autistic child um, that is gifted in music, for example, you could play them Beethoven's Fifth, they could hear it one time, and they could reproduce it just because of their musical acumen. And that's the equivalent of what Adam was doing with the naming of the animals. I mean, people can kind of reason that because they, we've all heard examples of autistic children. Or, I mean, there's uh, there's the guy that draws pictures and he'll have a million windows. He's looked at the space one time and he knows where every single window is on that city street. And then he just goes back to his house and he draws it. And it might take him two or three days, but everything is literally exactly where it's supposed to be. So to the to the listener that might be struggling a little bit, think about those examples that we have. We have a window into this when we when we hear about these amazing feats of uh, intelligence with autistic people. But I'll, I'll turn it over. Well, that harkens back to a very famous painter. Um, you know, it amazes me that, uh, well, in the frescoes, the life of the Virgin, the life of Christ, everybody knows these masterpieces. You realize that he qualified his talent. He was questioned, well, what makes you think you're good enough to uh, paint this painting? Ladies and gentlemen, he drew a perfect circle handed over the piece of paper and everybody just looked at it like, wait a minute, how could you have done that without, you know, at the time, a string and a pen attached to the paper? But he did it. He free-handed a perfect circle. And that's how we got, uh, well, the great works of art in uh, the Florence Cathedral. That's how he proved his qualification to do the painting. He freehanded a perfect circle, which only he could do. And let's talk a little bit about autistic children. You want chaos? Get off the schedule. Get off the schedule. And they will literally not be able to be controlled. If they are on the schedule that they eat at 4 o'clock, if you turn the television on at 4 o'clock, they will literally freak out. I mean, they will get extremely upset and, in due course, violent. They will just scream. They won't listen to you. They'll shake their head. They won't look at you. They will run away from you because they do not understand chaos. It's very upsetting to autistic children. So, with that in mind, I pass the buck to the bride. Your thoughts? Well... This is something that uh, Tim and I even spoke about last night, uh, and you guys are bringing up references with autistics, and this is where things get really sort of off the charts because we were discussing the fact that, you know, Andrew Collins pointed this out in his most recent book detailing the uh, Denisovan people that have been discovered up in the cave up in Siberia that's pretty much... Um, re-leveled the playing field with uh, modern genetic studies. And one of the major things that they turned up in this study 
is they link that Denisovan gene to autism itself. And this was part of the discussion we had last night, is if you take into consideration what is happening there in Genesis 1, and then you turn that back around and consider the possibility that we've got the earth being populated while Adam and Eve are still within the garden itself. You know, does this explain what is happening with these Denisovan people? Because there's something just absolutely off the charts that's going on with this group of people. They have found, you know, connections to the most accurate astronomical findings um, that date way early in history attributed to those people there. We've got music. Um, there's just all kinds of things, the explicit um, measurements that are based off of musical scale systems, for instance, that have been incorporated into, um, well, including the temple itself. And you find these same measures in, for instance, the pyramid and any other sacred enclosure that's found throughout the earth made by other civilizations. So this knowledge had to come from somewhere. And it's rather bothersome when you look at this data and you realize what's going on here, but then you guys bring up autism for some interesting reason in the midst of this, and this is the discussion we're already having on these Denisovan people. You know, and this this flies right back around in the face of something I've been working on for years. And this is the Magi themselves. You know, after that extensive amount of work I did locking in where Eden was located up in Pakistan, realizing on top of it that the Magi were always guarding that place for some strange reason. Now, it had sort of hit me because this is a bit of a twofold here. I'll explain one. First, the Denisovan themselves have been connected to those Magi. But you take it even a step deeper. You know, we've always had that idea that the Magi were actually influenced by Daniel, and that's why they showed up at the birth of Messiah. But what if the reverse is true? What if the Magi themselves were waiting for somebody like Daniel to come along, knowing full well what the prophecy that was contained in Genesis 3 the entire time? With all of these things in mind, this isn't so outside of the realm of possibility. You know, and to throw another layer onto this is people don't even realize that scholars in the 1800s that were working on the Vedic text in India began to realize that over and over and over again in those Vedic texts, the exact same story from Genesis was being told time and time again. You had Cain's expulsion into the land of Nod. You have Manu, which is associated with Noah. And this just keeps going in a billion different directions. So I'll leave it there with that. Well, uh, Joe, did you have anything that you wanted to add or say? Something the Lord is uh, putting on your heart? Uh, you've got the mic until further notice. Wow. Um, once again, uh, page three on my notes. Um but yeah, mind blowing. But it just 
you know, it just, I, I love these discussions because it just brings in, well, the, the, the divine, it just, it, you know, like I, I was kind of taken off guard a couple of times by, well, just about everybody in the group of of, of things that uh, were added. But it's it just, well, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. And I really, uh, well, I'm enjoying this uh, very much. So thank you all for uh, the the wonderful input that's that's been given let me ask you point blank joe what's your gut feeling was eve pregnant in genesis 3 or not now i don't mean your conclusion i mean your gut feelings right now my gut feelings is yes yes she was uh yeah do you think that she was pregnant in lieu of Revelation chapter 12. Absolutely. Well, Joe, sorry to have to do that to you, but I've been studying the Bible, God's Holy Word, my whole life. Now, make no mistakes about it. I learned the original languages in unison, in concert with English. And I have to come to the same conclusions that you have so far. Now, I'm not, I am not definitively saying that that is the answer, but I'm with you. This has got my gears turning, and I just realized that it's been a while since I changed the diff fluid, and I hear the rear end really grinding back there, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, I should have changed the differential fluid. Thames, the mic is yours. Take us to the new spot in this discussion. Well, let's let's talk about uh, childbearing for a minute. Um, if we were to look at cultures all around the world historically, the probably the greatest sort of death beyond famine would be women dying in childbirth, and yet we see the immense struggle and desire associated with childbirth with many of these women, and particularly in, in the Old Testament. And, you know, I mentioned to you the other night when we were talking that as I was doing this study, I, I spent a lot more time in the Old Testament than I do in the New, and... Uh, ladies, bear bear with me. I don't mean to uh, offend, but it says here in First Timothy uh, chapter two, verse fourteen, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And it seems to me that. That's exactly what happened, that they presented themselves to the Lord or God, God the Father, and her being with child, he was merciful. They didn't die immediately in his presence because that would have been 
I mean, that would have been the slaughter of the innocent. Well, and this is even, you know, something to a degree we spoke of last night about the the seed of the woman is it's a peculiar statement at first glance. Right, because we usually think of a man's seed, right? Well, exactly. So it, you know, and this almost brings it back around to the idea that Matthew had brought up was Eve created in a way that she was already possibly impregnated. I mean, it, it, you almost go back to that whole infamous what came first, the chicken or the egg idea. Sure. I mean, you could you could say were the were the trees in the garden were they uh, formed with fruit on them, or did the fruit come later? That's um, that's the question. Well, gentlemen, this is my point. Okay. Um, the two didn't have to come together. She was literally built with Adam's rib. She was literally knitted together via his DNA or with his seed, however you'd like to say it. Eve exclusively did not have to become one flesh with Adam that's how she was made. She was already made one flesh with him. Right? Or am I wrong? I mean, somebody jump in here. How could she have possibly not have already been joined to her husband? Explain that to me. Well, I, I think that's right. And, and uh, Genesis 5, verse 3, he says something which he's never said before. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he says, when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. That description is not associated with these other two boys. Okay, stop the bus. Stop the bus. Say that one more time, please. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. I'm, I'm speechless. Um, that's exactly what it says I'm sitting here looking at. It. Why does it say that? Uh, Brian, why on earth does it say that? I had sort of assumed that was the reason you took us to this chapter in the first place was because it stated it that way. It is definitely very peculiar wording that is pointing out something very, uh, how do you put this, different. That's it, Brian. Just blame me. That's classic. Um, <laughs> I was bringing us here because, well, why in verse 2 does he remind you? There's no reason for uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 2 to be here. We already knew that. We got that down pat, right? Why is he saying it again? And then the very next verse, why on earth does he say that? Why did the Lord put this verse here? That That's, now, more importantly, why am I just now looking at this verse? And I want to breach another topic right now. 
I need to go someplace I know, uh, something that has jumped out to my heart. So, so, so let's just do that. Let's just leave this on pause. In his opening diatribe, <clears throat> Thames brought up the simple fact that this had everything to do with clean or unclean. Now, we're given some data points there. My mind immediately jumps to it. Look, it, I, it's just habit. I can't help it. This is a, exactly where my mind went. And a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Let's go to the next one. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Let's go to Luke. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone. Uh, <laughs> next verse. Came up behind him and touched the friend of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? Oh my goodness, that is exactly the question we're asking now. Just exactly when did Adam touch Eve? But it rings with that age 12. And you can't know anything about uh, the age 12 and not be harkened back, at least myself. Now, I understand that a lot of you won't understand where I'm going with this, but that screams of the rest of her children in Revelation chapter 12. It screams of it. Now, just to bring everybody up to speed... I'm going to do this in a massively condensed way, so if what I'm saying is confusing to you, just send me a message, and everyone on this program right now can bear testimony. But if you send me your phone number, I not only will, I have, with everyone on at this roundtable right now, spent whatever time required on a personal phone call to explain what I'm about ready to say. Ladies and gentlemen, there is massive prophecy involved with the slaughter of the innocents, that age two years and under. It is a magical window of opportunity that you reach the age of accountability. Most churches historically and presently deem that to be, you guessed it, 12 years of age. So with that in mind… The ages between two years and 12 years is, of course, 10 years. I cannot rip my thoughts away from that, that this issue of blood, this time of uncleanliness, ties me directly to Matthew 9, the mirror in Mark 5, the mirror in Mark 8, with this woman that there was no reason to tell us that she had an issue of uncleanliness for 12 years. There was no reason to do that. So, knowing all of this tied in, especially with what's given in uh, the reference here in Luke, because he, he just said 12 years. 
Jesus just said that. Let me start in verse 40. And Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they all had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. Oh, yes. What that is there, ladies and gentlemen, is, well, in Hebrew it's called Hamsharatim. They are the priest that operate outside of the temple. Ladies and gentlemen, um, they're the ones that would come tell you that it was your turn to light the candles. Uh, they would take care of uh, getting uh, the supplies for the priests that stayed in the temple and whatnot. They were the temple officers. Now, let me start again and get the full meal deal. I'm sorry I interrupted there, but I was just letting you know that that ties in with the rest of her children. And Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet, and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years old. And she was dying, but as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Your thoughts on you bringing up this this uncleanliness, and you mentioned, of course, Laban uh, and his daughters. What's your your thoughts on this, Tams? Well, again, um, literally, what what Rachel did was she literally refused to to take to her hind's feet, um, and. The cleanliness is not just the menstrual cycle, but it was actually the hiding of the idols uh, under her skirt. And this is literally a picture of the rest of the children. I mean, it, there's just no other way to to read that. We know that in that day that you're going to have to take to your hind's feet. And if you have chosen to not take to your hind's feet because you have hidden idols under your skirt, then there is only one path available to you. It's that simple. And please elaborate, Thames, for those who don't know what you're talking about. What is that outcome if you do so? Martyrdom. You know, let me bring up the trees. We've already mentioned the simple fact that some of the trees were fruit-bearing and some were not. But let's think about this. Why were some of them fruit-bearing and some not? Let's step back for just a second and consider why God made two different types of trees. We've already brought up the simple fact that, well, they may or may not have had fruit, even though we all agree that God wouldn't have said there was some for and some not without producing the fruit on them before he made that comment. So, with that, Thames, what do you think is the reason why there's two different types of trees mentioned from the onset in creation? Well, very simply, he he makes it a point to tell them 
um, which which um, trees were good for for eating, and literally, we know that because when Eve goes and looks at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it it clearly tells you in the passage that she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes and the fruit. Um, was pleasing that that's when she decided to eat it. So they had obviously had been taught um, exactly what to look for in terms of what what to eat. And you know the meaning of that is, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, we're supposed to be bearing fruit. I mean, the fruit of the spirit is what we're supposed to be bearing. Um, and so you can go to. You know different levels of understanding what's what's actually being said there, just as the curse. I mean, Adam was told when they're kicked out of the garden that it's going to be, he will eat off the sweat of his brow, that he'll he'll get bread, and he's going to have to you know till the ground. And that ground is is not just a reference to him farming; it's also a reference to him wrestling with the desires of his flesh, because. It's not easy to to be peaceful, to be loving, to be kind. Um, you have to wrestle with your flesh to, to bear that fruit. And, you know, so this is a, a meaning inside of a meaning. Let me ask this. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, what on earth would Eve have thought of her curse? I mean, really, ladies and gentlemen, let's step back for a minute. Let's really step back for a minute. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. How was she supposed to know what pain was? How was she supposed to know that there was or was not pain involved in childbirth? Because it would seem to me that it kind of infers that she was already well down that road. Brian, your thoughts? I mean, really, would God have said that if she didn't know that it was supposed to be easy to have birth? Your thoughts, Brian? Well, precisely. There's no way around it because what? how would she even have a reference point for what giving birth was for that curse to even have any kind of uh, meaning behind it. You know, we whip back around to, like I stated before, you realize that command's already given by the sixth day of creation to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's already there. You know, you bring up a good point. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, how was she supposed to know how a baby was born anyhow? I, I, I mean, honestly, since how she obviously did not have a belly button. Now listen, since how she obviously did not have a belly button, what was she supposed to think? How was she supposed to think or put into perspective what God was talking about unless she had already had a child? Because at this point in time... If it happens the way we've all been taught, she was, she was, you know what really, what really terrified her? When God said, you're going to have a baby that's going to come out of you. 
Because at a zero point of reference, that certainly would have terrified her because she would have looked around and said, well, what, he's going to come out of my mouth or – you understand what I'm trying to say? Well, just do the math on it, Matthew. I mean if I multiply zero by some number, what do I get? Zero, inevitably. Right. And – Listen, I mean, go back to what Matthew just, or what Brian just said a second ago. Multiply and replenish the earth. Everyone replaces the word earth with garden. So when you actually just read the text, why isn't it possible and conceivable and even logical that they had been consummating their marriage and in the cool of the day, the Lord would come down and knit together what was ever inside of her womb and they were sending people out because they had been told to replenish the earth. The earth was much bigger than the garden. And so they would have been sending them out two by two to do that. Okay, stop the bus. I've got to hear what Joe's got to say about that comment. I really do. Joe, hate to put you on the spot, buddy, but <laughs> step into the batter's box. Two by two. Wow. Um, no, that's uh, – okay. We had talked about on another show where uh, my spirit would ring. Um, it's pretty loud right now. Um, my goodness, two by two out. To be fruitful, mold. Yes, yeah. There's no reason why. Okay, that that just that just tied in a whole ton in my mind, anyways. I I don't know about the listeners, but that just tied in a whole ton of verses in Genesis. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, the famous one. Where did all the people come from? Right. Right. Well, Thames, we need confirmation on that. Are you sure? Are you absolutely positive? He did not say, uh, go and be fruitful, multiply, and fill the garden. I want confirmation on that Hebrew word. I'm I'm positive of that. And again, you know, like I, I said an hour ago, when you look at the names in the original Hebrew for Cain and Abel, that secret chamber that word the ha is present in Abel's name it's not present in Cain's name it's not there Brian your thoughts uh rescue me that's the only thing i can say is rescue me i'm just i don't know what to say i'm at the end of my rope and you know my whole life Brian i've thought well this rope is exactly 12 years long but now I'm at the end of it, and I'm realizing, wow, that puppy's way longer than I thought. So your thoughts, Brian? Well, there's a lot of little tidbits you brought up here in the midst of this because, all right, when you say two by two, the first thing that comes to my mind is going to be obviously loop 10. And verse 1 is the one that gets real interesting because you have some manuscripts. The major main manuscripts point out 70 whereas others state 72. Now, this goes backwards to where you brought up the slaughter of the innocents, those two years and under, and in the womb. Had it happened in Exodus, we had it happen at the time of the birth of Messiah. 
Well, you brought this up how many times? If you have six days, you have 144 hours. Lo and behold, you get whipped back right back around to the 144,000. And now you bring up the remaining 10 years. Well, 10 days in prison. Your mind keeps getting wrapped back and back and back and back in these directions over and over again. And even as you brought up, you know, two by two, and I go and look at Luke 10, and then I have the peculiar thing staring me in the face in uh, Luke 10, verse 11. Even the dust of your city, which clings to your feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Well, Brian, you can't get away from why we're here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I may be talking about things you don't understand, but Joe's a Christian. Thames is a Christian. Brian is a Christian. I am a Christian because of the promise. That's the only reason why I'm here. It's the only reason why you're here. If you're a Christian listening to this broadcast, you are a fulfillment of the promise. The promise is prophecy. That's the only reason why prophecy is given, is to fulfill the promise to Abraham that his seed would be numbered as the stars and the sand on the seashore. That's it. And whether we like it or not, it is ordained by God since he gave that promise and since he divided the sacrifice and walked in its midst. That's how it's going to be. That's how it is going to be. And Brian saying that, you know, I, I hope you put that into context with what Tem said earlier. If you don't hold to that last verse in Revelation chapter 12, you're going to. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. In the Old Testament, let's bring up the one from Isaiah. As Isaiah cried out, to the law and to the testimony. He wasn't referring to any law. He was referring to the Ten Commandments, that which God had wrote with his own finger. That one. What is your testimony? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you lie to somebody, guess what? They know you're not a Christian. They know you're a liar. If you steal from an individual, guess what? Beyond any shadow of a doubt, that individual knows you are a thief. Now, your testimony is your outward actions that you perform to other people. We've been given detailed instructions on how you're supposed to carry yourself by way of repeated beatitudes. Look them up. That's the ticket. Now, putting two and two together, Thames made no qualms to state it flat out that if you don't do this, you're going to, and then you will be martyred. So, <clears throat> we understand that through all this dynamic of the promise, what remained? What remained was the riddle of the wives three. There's no physical way that Sarah, Hagar, 
and Keturah could be in that equation, there's no way. Yet they are who the promise was fulfilled through, just like Eve. Let me put this question to Thames, because there is a very unpleasant, well, verse in the New Testament. And nobody likes to talk about it, and when it is talked about, it always makes, well, let us say, half of the congregation quite angry. Now, let's talk about this, Thames. The New Testament says that uh, childbearing weighs quite definitively in the salvation process. Did you consider this verse in relationship to Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 12? And if so, your thoughts. Yes, uh, Brian and I talked about this a little bit earlier, that um, 1 Timothy 2.14, that's, that's the one you're, you're referencing? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Um, it is my belief that Eve was with child when they were driven from the garden. And the fact that she was with child is the reason why the serpent was disturbing them. But it is also the reason why the Lord was merciful and they were not struck down immediately at that moment in time. And it, and it also makes sense that that would have been a reason for them to cover themselves with aprons. Which, <laughs> wow, talk about shell shock. Talk about shell shock. Are you inferring, well, let's, let's go back to Genesis. Uh, we better take a look at this again. I am going to uh, read <clears throat> Adam's response. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, uh, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Ladies and gentlemen, we just talked about Adam not being familiar with chaos. He knew full well which tree she had eaten from, and he knew full well the end result. And he ate the fruit Anyway, this is the question. Are you inferring, Thames, that the reason why he ate because his wife was with child and he was willing to sacrifice himself for the woman and her child? Is that what you're inferring? Yes. I mean, what man wouldn't run back into a burning building to try and save his, his wife who was pregnant with child? Wherever she goes, whatever happens to her, I, I want to be with them. That's my, I mean, that's 
that is a basic instinct that we have. I mean, that's a decision we never want to make. And in fact, if a man chooses to not be faithful in a situation like that, we we tend to we tend to use you know a lot of judgment in in those types of situations. You know, I I hate to say this, but historically, that is exactly the case. I mean, literally, a expecting father will literally run into a burning building to retrieve the mother of his child when she's expecting. I mean, this has been proven and caused death so many times. This is without question. This is the case. Brian, your thoughts? Well, it's a logical conclusion. You know, the uh, we've always stated this before. If you come up with an idea, it's got to add up. And I would say it's a strong possibility, not to even mention probability, that that could indeed be the case. Because, I mean, well, we have to consider here what would have happened if Adam wasn't judged in the midst of this or if he didn't take that fruit, then how would have things turned out? Um, you know, you do have to at some point ask that question, why did he take of the fruit of that tree knowing full well that he wasn't supposed to? Well, you know, Thames brings up a good point. God should have killed them. Instead of killing them, this is what he says after he's done speaking to well after he's done speaking okay once he tells uh, you know Adam and Eve uh, their judgments what's going to happen to them and the serpent what does he do now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living here we, uh, I hate to rain on everybody's party God just said that they were not the only ones alive. However, what does God do instead of kill them? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Thames, why did you bring up that that God would have made the garments because she was with child? What's what's your thoughts on that? It's a it's a covering. And, you know, uh you know, you know the the one thing that just keeps ring, ringing in my mind, to use Joe's word, is that he he's a teacher, and every single interaction that he had with them was a teachable moment. And he literally, I mean, they had lost their covering; they were naked for the first time. They had lost their coat of many colors, and it was replaced with the skins of of animals. I mean, every other creature has a covering, right? Fish have scales. Animals usually have fur. I mean, I, I know they have a couple they call naked, you know, this or that. But generally speaking, animals have a covering. There's only man that doesn't have a covering. For the love of biscuits, I, I am just uh, taken aback. We have pushed the envelope as far as that puppy would go. 
There is no debating it. Um, he gave the animals fur. He gave the fish scales. He gave the birds feathers. Everything has its covering. Even a turtle has its shell. I'm going to have to ask for closing comments. And I do that out of way of, well, what else am I going to say? Because the only thing I can do from this point is try to make a determination, which would not be lawful for me to do. I obviously need to take a gander at the Greek. We've only discussed the Hebrew thus far. And it has left me wanting. Only one thing to do when you've taken one of those and been found wanting, that's to go for the other side. And it blows my mind what we could possibly find here in the Greek. We haven't even considered it. So it's inappropriate of me to take a stance as to whether she was with child or not. I am going to ask this. I'm going to ask that Joe would read for us Revelation chapter 12 with all of this in the background. Let Joe use his voice to tune what it is that the Lord our God is saying in Revelation chapter 12. Joe, get on the mic and read for us Revelation chapter 12 in whichever translation you deem necessary. Whichever one's your favorite one, I really don't care. Um, just as long as it's in English, give it to us. Both barrels, point blank range, square in the chest. That's how my mother gave it to me. That's how I want it. Okay. You want the entire one? The entire chapter? Every single verse. Okay. Let's see. I think this is... King James. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head was a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another woman in heaven. And behold, Another wonder, excuse me, in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath had a place prepared by of God, that they should feed there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there a place found for any found any more in heaven. 
and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of, of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto, unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the seal. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And the woman were, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away with the flood and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth and the dragon was wrought with the woman and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Boy, you know, when it said that she fled, man, it reminds me of what I just read. It just absolutely amazes me how it, I just, I just read this verse, you know. Um, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves they ran and hid Revelation talks about that great war with the dragon and there's no way I cannot think of exactly how that very chapter ends so he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Every single element is there. If you could just open your eyes long enough to see it. You know, <clears throat> really bad things happened after the expulsion. Didn't take very long for God to have to issue a flood because all of their thoughts was evil continually. And why is that? Ah, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I am quite speechless. Tim, your closing comments, please. Well, when you when you mentioned the flood there, um, your thoughts should be immediately taken to 
Jude one eleven. Woe to them, for they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They will be destroyed in Korah's rebellion, which you literally just, well, Joe just literally read all about that. Amen, he sure did. It's funny how it's the earth that's going to come to the woman's aid. Kind of makes you think what the time is involved with that. Brian, your closing comments, please. Well, just mainly that uh, I think there's a whole lot to consider here. And yes, some of this stuff might be in the realm of theoretical, but it's definitely a differing way to look at some of these beginning texts here in Genesis and not to even mention how suddenly, lo and behold, it brings a whole new light on the things that are being stated in Revelation 12. So that's my uh, two cents for the time being. All right. We shall have Joe's comments to finish this episode out. Oh, my goodness. Uh Absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, absolutely mind-blowing, but uh loved every second of the discussion. You know, and I, I think uh, Brian said was absolutely correct that we're going to have to dig in even more, uh, you know, and, and, and reiterating what uh, Matthew said, if we've only looked at... Uh, one side of it. I know for myself that was the case. I was uh, just looking at the Hebrew uh, this morning and this afternoon. Um, I hadn't even gotten to the Greek yet, so there's a, a ton more to uncover, and uh, I look forward to it. Amen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody's already given you their contact information. What could be given the four of us have delivered. Is it a beautiful time for us to make a determination? No. You know, every equation must contain two things. Constants and variables. God's Word is no different. It is the standard by which every singular thing that was ever created was created. I shall finish us out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, whom I serve through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son and my Savior, I ask that you might fill the listener with the Holy Spirit so that they might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. I ask for mercy in the days to come as we consider our end of days. Please remind your children of the promise. Please remind them that you are no respecter of persons and what you have said you will do to the last jot and tittle. We praise your holy name, Father, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. From everlasting to everlasting, Amen and amen.